Lord God, we do thank you for your amazing word. And Lord, we thank you for your church, a body of believers who come together and, and worship you, Lord, for, for how great you are, how great thou art, Lord. What a wonderful song. What a wonderful testimony to who you are. Uh, Lord, we come to you this morning uh, hoping that you will open our hearts and open our minds and, and fill us with your word this morning, Lord, and uh, help us leave from here changed people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Molly and I just celebrated our 23-year wedding anniversary, and uh, to some of you, to some of you that may seem like a very long time, and to some of you that may seem like you're just getting started, right? Still newlyweds. So uh, I'm interested, uh, a show of hands, how many people married more than 30 years in the room? Wow. All right. More than 40. More than 40. All right. More than 50. Nobody? All right, getting close. Oh, one. Okay, wonderful. More than 50 years. That's wonderful. Amazing. Well, as we come to chapter 23 of Genesis, uh, Abraham and Sarah were probably married for about 110 years. How's that sound? That's a long, long marriage, right? Uh, some of you, that sounds better than others, right? Uh, 110 years. That's a heck of a long marriage. And Abraham and Sarah had a long uh, and wonderful marriage. It, it had certain pitfalls along the way, right? We know that, that twice Abraham put Sarah in jeopardy uh, by lying about who she was and, and saying that she was his sister when in fact she wasn't. And we know that uh, Sarah, impatient with God uh, and God's promises, uh, asked for, forcefully, I guess is a nice way to say it, that, she, that he go into Hagar, and Ishmael was the result of, of that union. And so there were some bumps along the way, uh, but 110 years, it's a long marriage, and it was a long and happy marriage, uh, and, and it was full of adventure and, and full of wonder, right, at the promises of God and how God would fulfill these incredible promises uh, that he had made to them. Uh, and so the fulfillment, of course, uh, happened along the course of their marriage, but it all culminated uh, in the birth of Isaac and how wonderful it was that, that the child of the promise uh, was finally born. Well, as a result of the fall, sooner or later, we all must die, and Sarah died at 127 years old, and, and that's, a, that's a very long life, uh, but that would make Abraham 137 years old, because he was 10 years older than, than uh, Sarah, and that would make Isaac about 37 years old. So we're probably in the range of maybe 15 years, 10 to 15 years after the events of, of uh, Abraham's offering of Isaac that we saw last week. So uh, the journey has continued and nothing is recorded in the Bible, but, but some time has passed here. And, and this chapter is, is all about, uh, it's about love and it's about loss and it's about living on uh, after that loss. And it's about Abraham's claiming a stake uh, in the promised land. And so what we'll see this week uh, is that a faithful husband mourns his wife in verses one and two. And then a faithful husband honors his wife and receives honor from others. We'll see that in verses 3 through 6. And then finally, uh, a faithful man claims what God has promised in verses 7 through 20. Uh, so if you look at, with me at uh, Genesis chapter 23, we'll just look at the fir first two verses, and we'll see that a faithful husband honors or mourns his wife. Uh, verse 1, Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. 
Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So we're not told uh, exactly how Sarah died, uh, but we are given her age when she died. And she's the only person in the Bible, or the only woman in the Bible, whose age is recorded at the time of her death. So she's, she's a special woman for that reason alone, uh, but for other reasons as well. And, and she died in Kiriath Arba, uh, which is also known as Hebron. So in Abraham's day, it was called Kiriath Arba. By the time Moses wrote this, it was called Hebron. And so we know that Abraham lived a lot of his life here in Beersheba, and he spent some time out in the wilderness here in Gerar, but that now uh, they're back in Hebron, which is in Canaan, which is in the promised land. And, and that's, where, that's where she died. And we don't even know if Abraham was with her. Uh, the version that I read, the, the New American, says that he went in to mourn for Sarah. Some of your versions may say that he came uh, to Hebron to mourn Sarah. So, so we're not exactly sure if he was there or not. But, but either way, uh, he wept for Sarah and he mourned for Sarah because he loved Sarah. Uh, and she must have been an extraordinary woman. Uh, just look at what some of the New Testament writers had to say about her as, as we look at 1 Peter. Let's look at what 1 Peter says about her. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So that's 1 Peter. Uh, he's writing to, new, uh, to first century women in the New Testament. And then Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So we see from these New Testament writers that she's a woman of great faith. She's a woman of great beauty, quiet spirit, great worth in God's sight. A, a true Proverbs 31 woman is what we might say of her uh, today. And she's called the mother of all women who would believe. And, and so it's no wonder that Abraham was enamored with her, right? I mean, she had to be a wonderful woman, beautiful to look at physically and beautiful from the inside uh, as well. And so uh, we can understand why, why Abraham would mourn her loss uh, so greatly. When we lose loved ones, there is a tremendous void left in our lives. Uh, we miss that person who has gone before us, uh, and we, we long to see them again. Our, our hearts ache for, for, the, for the grief that we suffer. Uh, and the Bible says that, that it's, it's good to grieve and it's okay to grieve, but, but not to the point of despair. Let's look at what 1 Thessalonians says about our grief as believers. Paul, writing to the Thessalonian church, um, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. So I know that there are people in this room who have lost people, and, and it hurts so much, and it's so hard and so difficult when we have to deal with loss. Um, uh, what I want to say to you this morning is that, uh, you know, the greater you love, the greater the grief at the loss. And that's just the way, the way grief and, and love go together hand in hand. Uh, and it's natural and it's good and it's healthy to grieve. And we should grieve the loss of these people. 
but, but not as though we, we have no hope, right? Not as though we despair to the, to the point where, where we, we don't have any hope because God himself promises that one day death itself is going to be cast into the lake of fire and that God will, will one day wipe every tear from our eyes and how we long for that day, how we want that day to come so much when, when the Lord returns and we get to be with him uh, in heaven, uh, he wipes every tear from our eyes and we're with those who went before us in the Lord. Abraham mourned for Sarah and he wept for Sarah and he should. But notice that his life went on and we're going to see that uh, in this chapter and in, and in uh, the next couple of chapters as well. In fact, Abraham lived 38 years after Sarah died and, and he got married again and he had more children and those were happy and prosperous years even though he missed his dear wife. Uh, and Isaac mourned. Uh, it says that Isaac mourned and then in chapter 24, which we'll see next week, that Isaac married Rebekah and he was comforted uh, in his mourning. And David, when David's son by Bathsheba died, uh, David mourned for that child, and, and he said, uh, he shall not return to me, but I shall go to him someday. Th these people grieved, but they knew that their hope was in the Lord, and that the Lord had made promises, and, and that the Lord would fulfill those promises. And, and so uh, I pray for those of you who are grieving and who are hurting this morning, that, that you will know and just own those promises, that those promises of God are real and they're true, and that one day we will not only be with the Lord, but be with our loved ones again. And so even though you grieve, uh, not with, with, with despair. Abraham was grieved by Sarah's death, and he mourned her loss. And, and he also mourned the fact that God had made promises to them that were not fulfilled in his lifetime, right? He, he was promised descendants too numerous to count and so much land that he might possess. And, and here's Abraham with his wife who is now passed, and he doesn't own a square yard of land anywhere. Uh, and so he has to come uh, to these sons of Heth uh, and he has to make a deal so that he can find a place uh, to bury his, his wife. And, and it's interesting that we have only two verses in this chapter are dedicated to the passing of Sarah. And then we have 18 verses uh, dedicated to Abraham acquiring a place to bury Sarah in the promised land. Uh, so let's, uh, let's read this interesting negotiation. We'll, negotiation. we'll look at the first uh, few verses of this, verses 3 to 6, uh, and we'll see that here that a faithful husband uh, honors his wife and receives honor from others. So verse 3, Then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying his dead or your dead. Abraham didn't linger in his sorrow. Uh, he, he, he rose from before these people and he rose from his dead. Uh, to make sure that, that Sarah received a proper and a respectful burial. That was his duty. That was all he could do for her now, was to give her a, a beautiful burial to honor her. Uh, and in turn, he was honored by these sons of Heth, or, or your version might say Hittites, uh, the sons of Heth and the Hittites, uh, same people. And, and so Abraham's reputation had preceded him. And we see that the Hittites, they call him my Lord, uh, and they call him a mighty prince. 
Do you remember back a few chapters ago, God changed Abraham's or uh, Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. And Sarah means princess. And so here's Abraham before these Hittites, uh, a prince looking to bury his princess. And I just think that's a really cool uh, image when you think of a 137-year-old man burying his 127-year-old wife, right? A prince and a princess. Uh, I just think it's really neat. Uh, Abraham lived a long and fruitful life. Uh, and, and his walk uh, matched his talk, uh, as it were. And so he witnessed in word and deed. And these Hittites, they knew of Abraham, but they didn't know about God. And the closest thing they would ever see to God is to see Abraham in his walk and how Abraham walked the talk, how he walked his faith, how he walked his belief in God. Uh, so, so, you know, when, when, we, when we deal with loss, we, we have to show the world that, that we live a life worthy of the calling that we receive. And so uh, as we take a look at, uh, at Ephesians chapter 4, I just want to show you this quote. This is, what, this is what our walk looks like. This is Paul writing to the Ephesian church. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He's imploring people to walk in a manner of the, uh, uh, of the, of the calling that you have received. Uh, we want our walk to match our talk. And when we do that, look what Matthew chapter 5 says. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So when we walk the walk... We are a testimony to other people in their lives about the faithfulness of God, about the glory of God. Uh, for people who may never enter into a church, your life may be the only life that they ever see when they're looking at, at God. And that's what the sons of Heth were looking at when they were looking at Abraham. They, they were looking at God through Abraham's walk. And so the way you walk is, is a testimony to other people. And, and people, they're watching us, right? People are watching Christians to see how we behave. They want to know if our walk matches our talk. They want to know if we're, we're hypocrites like the Pharisees who tell people to live one way and then go live another way completely. They want to see if our faith stands up in times of crisis, in times of difficulty. Uh, will we crumble? Will we walk away from the faith? Or will we be strong in our faith? Uh, that, that's a testimony to other people. Uh, and, and they want to see if our faith stands up in a time of testing, well, then that, maybe that's something that they can hold on to, something that is of value to them. And so when, when people see our good works, when they see how our faith stands up, we become attractive to them. And then we, we gain the right or, or, or the honor even of being able to speak truth into their lives. And, and Abraham lived that kind of life. They watched how Abraham lived, and they watched how he walked. And, and because of his walk, we see that none of these Hittites would refuse him even the choicest of their graves, because that's the kind of man that Abraham was. But even so, Abraham insisted on paying full price for the burial site. They talked about a gift, and Abraham said, I, I will not take anything from you. Uh, for fear, like he said in chapter 15, uh, 14, when he was returning from that con uh, rescue of Lot, he said, I will not take anything from the king of Sodom, uh, lest it be said that man made me rich. And so Abraham's not going to allow uh, any man to be able to say that. He insists on paying full price. Plus, 
it was possible if he received a gift of this grave that someday it could be taken away from him too. And so he wants a deed to this piece of property. And so that's what he's going to ask for. So let's read this extended polite negotiation that we see between Abraham and these sons of Heth from verses 7 through 20. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field, for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hethite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even all who went in at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. I, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the first Ephron, the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field, that were within the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried his wife in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. So... Can you imagine this negotiation? Uh, You listen to me. No, you listen to me. No. It was like a a nice-off, right, to see who can be nicer. And the the one uh, who who wins the nice-off is the one who is going to to win this negotiation. But, of course, it's all a show, right? It's all a show. This was not uh, intended to be a real negotiation. Uh, Whoever blinks first, whoever says the price, that's the one who's going to win the negotiation. Uh, And so... Uh, Abraham, he honors these people just like they honored him, right? He rose and he bowed in front of them and he showed them the same respect uh, that they showed him and even asked for a mediator to be appointed to, uh, to stand in for, in these negotiations because that kept with the custom of the day of how we negotiate politely. We appoint a mediator uh, between Abraham and Ephron. Well, in verse 9, uh, notice that Abraham only asked for the cave uh, he, didn't, he didn't ask for the field, uh, but he, Ephron happened to be present. And so Ephron gets up and he speaks for himself without a mediator. And he says, I give you the cave and I give you the field that the cave is in. Now, is Ephron just bending over backwards to be extra nice? No, he, he's not. Hittite law required that uh, if you owned a parcel of land, uh, you paid taxes on that parcel of land. And if you portioned out a parcel or a piece of that land, you would still pay taxes on the whole. And so Abraham would essentially be getting a cave that he wasn't paying taxes on, while Ephron was paying taxes on the whole thing. And Ephron certainly didn't like that deal at all. So uh, he wants to give him the cave and the field, which was more than Abraham asked for. 
but in this case, uh, Ephron, he, he's kind of backed into a corner, right? Because uh, the sons of Heth have already said, none of us will refuse you our field and our grave to bury your dead. So, so Ephron's got to sell it to him, uh, but that doesn't mean he have to, has to sell it to him at a fair price. And so that's why these negotiations are so interesting because uh, Ephron is going to, he, he's going to just kind of casually drop the, the, the number of the, of the price, right? He's just going to lay it down there and say, uh, well, 400 shekels. So uh, how does he get away with this? It's because Ephron had sized Abraham up, right? I mean, he knew that Abraham was a wealthy man. He was a man of honor, that, that he had come to them because he needed a place to bury his dead. And, and what man of honor is going to stand there and haggle uh, at the city gate in front of all these people over the price of a field in which to bury his wife? Nobody's going to do that, right? As soon as Ephron says the price, that's the price. Uh, so uh, that, is, that is how they come up with the price. So, so if you've ever been in sales... Uh, you know you do that too, right? I mean, when, when a customer walks in the door, you look at that person and you see how he's dressed, you see how he walks, you see who he's with. When he starts talking, you, you see how he talks and, and you decide if this person is, is worth your time or if this person is wasting your time. Uh, and Ephron had done that with Abraham and he certainly knew that Abraham was not wasting his time. He was a serious buyer, not a tire kicker, right? He, he was there to make a deal. And so Ephron, uh, he's, he's, uh, he, he's, he's gonna say, well, 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me, right? As if it's nothing. Well, I'll tell you, it's not nothing. 400 shekels is more than 100 pounds of silver. That's a, that's a lot of silver, right? Uh, so, it, it, you know, we, we don't really know what shekels are because we live in America, but that's a lot. It's a lot of silver. Uh, just by way of comparison, uh, when David bought the entire Temple Mount site, uh, this is a thousand years later, he paid 50 shekels of silver for the entire Temple Mount site which is substantially larger than the cave and the field at Machpelah and doesn't count for a thousand years of inflation. So uh, did Ephron get a pretty good deal? Yeah, I think Ephron got a, got a pretty good deal. Uh, he, he might have fleeced Abraham a little bit, but at the same time, uh, I think Abraham thought that he probably got a pretty good deal too because finally he owns a stake in this land. He owns a piece of the promised land for the first time. Uh, and so he gets it for a possession, right? A piece of the promised land that, that he owns, and it's the first bit of, of land that he owns there. Well, in the height of his grief and his mourning, when he may not have known uh, how he was going to make it another day without his dear wife, right? That kind of grief, he still was able to get up and claim God's promises. He claimed a stake in the land, and he didn't mind overpaying because look what he got. He got this stake in the land. He got a cave that was big enough to house more than just him. Uh, Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah, actually means a double cave or split cave. So it was capable of housing more than just Abraham. And we'll see that in a minute. Uh, because uh, Isaac was buried there. And Leah was, or I'm sorry, Isaac and Rebekah were both buried there. And Jacob was buried there. And Sarah was buried there as well. So this was a large cave. And he was essentially buying a place for, for his family for years to come uh, to, be, to be buried. And, and so after these negotiations, Abraham gets a deed to this property. It's a permanent stake. It cannot be taken away because it's a deed. And he owns it. And he's finally able to bury Sarah. You know, it was unusual to bury someone uh, in a foreign land. You would not bury your wife in uh, Canaan when you're from Ur of the Chaldees and then later from Haran. You would move them back to their homeland. You wouldn't bury them in a foreign land in a place where you 
didn't own anything. You, you weren't really from there. You were, you were an alien and a stranger. And so by, by burying Sarah here, he's making a statement. He, he's like driving a stake into the land and saying, this is my homeland, and, and there's no going back to Haran. There's no going back to Ur. Uh, my hope is in the land of Canaan, and this is where I will stay. Remember that in chapter 15, God said to Abraham, your people will be strangers and aliens, prisoners in exile for 400 years. Abraham's got this in the back of his mind, right? And he's thinking, am I going to bury my wife here knowing that my people are going to be strangers and aliens in a foreign land for 400 years? But God also said, I will bring your people back after that time of exile is over. So how great is the faith of Abraham that he trusted God enough to bury Sarah there against all custom, believing that this was their homeland and that Abraham would be brought back by God, his descendants would be, uh, after 400 years. And so we just see Abraham's faith growing and growing. Chapter 22, he offers his only son. Chapter 23, he buries his wife in the land. So you see the seed promise and the land promise. Abraham is trusting in both of those things. He believed that the Israelites would return to that land, and, and so he placed his faith in God, his trust in God, and buried Sarah in the land. Well, as we look at this chapter, um, it really doesn't make any great theological point, right, that, that we, need to, we need to drive home, but I think there are a couple of things that we need to see here because it's really just about acquisition of the land and, and, and Abraham's growing faith and his love for his wife. So a couple of things that I want you to see from this chapter uh, is that uh, first, God will ultimately fulfill his promises, but God's promises extend past our own lives. So a point with a couple of subpoints. God's promises extend past our own lives, so live your life like you believe and expect God to fulfill his promises. That's how we're supposed to live. We're not supposed to live in fear. We're supposed to live like we really do believe that, that, that God is going to fulfill what he said. Um, Abraham was promised lots of things, numbers of descendants, right? Bigger than the stars of the sky, than the sand on the seashore, too many to count. But by the time he dies, he's got Isaac and he's got Ishmael, who's not the child of the promise. And he's promised the land from uh, Syria all the way down to Egypt, and he owns nothing except a gravesite, right? So he bought the grave in hope that, that God would fulfill the promises. And, and God has promised us things too, that he could not possibly fulfill in our lifetimes because we have to die to receive them. We, we, we've been promised life eternal in heaven with him and with Jesus, and that will be fulfilled at a later date because God's promises extend past what can happen in our own lifetimes. We will be heirs of God. We will be joint heirs with Christ. And so everything Jesus has and, and has received, we're going to share in those things one day when God answers the, those promises. And so uh, this, is, this is why we don't grieve like the pagans do, right? This is why we grieve in hope. Uh, I, in fact, myself was, was saved as, as, as a result of watching Christians mourn. Uh, many of you heard my story while I was doing the candidating process here, but Molly's uncle Kenny died, uh, not much older than me, if older than me at all, with teenage kids. And it was a, it was a horrible, sad death, untimely, a military funeral where, um, where the military men did the 21-gun salute and handed the wife the flag uh, among tears and mourning and, and terrible, terrible sadness. Uh, and, and 
I was there without hope in the world as an unbeliever. And as I watched believers mourn, I saw in them something that I didn't have. They had hope. And, and that was a hope that I wanted to have. And, and that set me off on a journey where, where I sought the Lord and I sought his will and I sought his word and, and tried to figure out uh, whether, whether his word was true and whether, whether God was real. And, and I found that he was. And it all started as a result of watching other people mourn. So, so the way that we mourn can actually lead other people to Christ. And, and God used that death, a, a tragic thing, to light a fire under me and to lead me to salvation. So uh, watch how you grieve uh, and, and watch other people, how they can be affected by how you grieve. So God's promises extend past our own lives. So live your life like you believe and expect God to fulfill his promises. The people at that funeral did that and that affected me. Second, God's promises extend past our own lives, so live your life like you're a stranger and an alien just passing through on your way back home again. That's how Abraham lived. He said, I am an alien and a stranger in this land. I own nothing. Give me a piece of land. And when Abraham finally acquires a piece of land, what is it? It's a grave, right? It's a grave. That's all he has. And when you and I die, what are we going to have? We're going to have a grave. That's all we're going to have. Everything we own is going to be passed on to someone else. It's going to be owned by someone else. So why live our lives holding on so tightly to the things of this world when we should be living our lives seeking what God has promised us in the future? He's promised us things that are unimaginable to us now, and yet we're going to have it all someday. So don't hold on so tightly to the things of this world. God's promises extend past what he's given, what he's promised us in our lives, and it's going to be so much better than whatever else we're going to have here. All right, so that's the first thing. God's promises are going to extend past our lives, so we ought to live that way. And the second thing, husbands, love your wives. I just see a marriage here, a long marriage, a long, fruitful, prosperous marriage, um, uh, just filled with anticipation and hope and wonder and, and seeing God do amazing things in their lives. And, and what a great way to, 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 uh, to live your life as a married couple. And, and we do it, first of all, because it's a biblical command, right? Ephesians 5.27 says, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love is an action. Love is sacrificial. Love puts the other one before ourselves, right? And that's how we're supposed to love our wives. And, and we love our wives whether they're loving us the way we want to be loved, whether they're treating us the way we want to be treated, uh, whatever, whatever reason you can think of not to love your wife is nonsense. We love our wives because it's a biblical command. We have to do it. We ought to do it. Do our wives have shortcomings? Yeah, you could probably find a shortcoming or two in your wife, but have you looked in the mirror lately and, and, and taken stock of your own shortcomings? You probably have some too, and she's living with those. So, so love your wife because uh, it's a biblical command. Second, let's love our wives so we don't have any regrets. Do you think after Sarah died, Abraham regretted that he had twice uh, nearly cost her her life uh, by, by lying about her and having her taken into somebody else's harem? Uh, I'm sure he did. Uh, we don't want to live like that. If we've learned anything this week from the events that happened in Las Vegas uh, last week, we know that life is fragile and it is fleeting and it can be taken from us at any moment. Uh, and if we were to lose our wife quickly and unexpectedly like that, we would not want to have any regrets about how well we loved her. So love her because we can lose our lives at any moment. And finally, we love our wives because Christ first loved us. 
He died on the cross for us so that we would not have to pay the penalty of sin, but that we could have eternal life if we simply believe in him. And Christ gave us an example of how we're supposed to live. Uh, in John 13, 15, he says, I have set for you an example so that you may have done uh, as I have done for you. So love your wife the way that Christ loved you, sacrificially and completely. I don't know if, if you've been keeping up with, uh, with the Las Vegas uh, stories, but, but the, if you may have heard of, of Sonny Melton uh, and his wife, Heather. Sonny Melton was a 29-year-old nurse at a hospital in Paris, uh, Tennessee. And his wife, Heather, was an orthopedic surgeon there. And they were on vacation. They went to this concert in Las Vegas. Uh, and when the shots rang out, Sonny draped himself over his wife, Heather. And Heather said, I felt Sonny get shot in the back. Sonny died protecting his wife, loving his wife sacrificially to the end. And that's how we're supposed to love our, our, our wives. That's how, that's how Christ loved us. So we have to love our wives the same way. I was just thinking about marriage and, and thinking about uh, what an incredible gift it is and, and thinking about uh, you know, loving our wives and, and, and thinking about what it takes to really love our wives this well. And, and if, you, if you love like this, if you're willing to give your heart to another person and say, I, I love you and I make myself completely vulnerable to you, you put yourself at great risk, don't you? Because there is a lot of pain in love. And the person who we uh, are, are in love with, they may go before we go. And, and that's a sad day uh, when that happens. Uh, and, and when that happens, you may have your heart ripped out and it's, it may hurt excruciatingly so. But if you never you, you miss out on some of the best that life has to offer. Uh, you'll never have to suffer the pain of loss, but, but you may have to suffer other kinds of pain. Uh, Paul Simon sang, uh, I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries, right? Uh, you can live like that if you want, but that's a life of isolation, and that's a, a life of pain of isolation. Uh, a, a life of love has to give itself away, and it has to risk great things uh, in order, to, in order to, to love like that. So to experience that kind of love, you have to be willing to give yourself away, and that's what Abraham did. And let me tell you, uh, young people especially who are not married yet, it's worth the risk. Uh, you, you give your heart away like that, and, and it's worth it. It's worth every bit of it. So you young people in the room, uh, I encourage you that marriage is, is one of the greatest things. It, in fact, it's the closest thing that we have on earth to what the Trinity looks like, the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the closest bond we have on earth is the marriage bond. And so uh, we just are grateful for that. And God gave Abraham a long and a fruitful life that, mar that, uh, that looked like the Trinity as best on earth as it possibly can. And so uh, when Sarah died, God gave him great grace. He gave him a long marriage, and then he gave him the strength to move on, to live on, and he also gave him a stake in this land. And so God is fulfilling his promises to Abraham, even during mourning and death. And so uh, as we think about this, this chapter, I just want to thank God for, first of all, the stake in the land. I mean, that's a wonderful thing, and that will come to fruition later for Israel. But the fact that God uh, has, has given us the ability to love and to be loved uh, is an incredible gift that God gives to us, and I think we ought to be grateful for that, and this is a good time in our story to talk about it. So uh, let's, let's go to the Lord, thank him for that, and for our many blessings. Lord God, we are grateful to you. 
uh, the ability to love is, is one of the attributes that you have, that you have communicated to us, that you have allowed us to share in with you so that we can love each other well and that we can have some idea of what it's like for you as Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit, the way you love each other from all eternity past to all eternity future. You've given us a glimpse of that in marriage, Lord, and we're grateful for it. And, and Lord, as we think about the grief that Abraham must have had at the loss of Sarah, uh, we just thank you for the comfort that you give us and that we know that death in this life is not the end. There is so much more of the story left to be written. This is just a blip on the screen, Lord. And we look forward to, with great anticipation, the day that we will be with you and with our loved ones who have gone before us, Lord, when you will cast death into the lake of fire and wipe every tear from our eyes. We're thankful for this, Lord. It's only possible because of the death of your son on the cross for our sins. And, and we thank you for that sacrifice, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.